And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. It is, of course, the second best day of the week. Ah, Thursday. We're almost there through the end of this week. Of course, after two days of Federal Reserve testimony, uh, of course, Tuesday was the testimony before the House Senate Banking Committee, uh, sorry, the Senate Banking Committee. Uh, yesterday was the testimony before the House Financial Services Committee by Jerome Powell talking about the need to hike interest rates, combat inflation. We'll have a lot of conversation on that this morning. Michael Leibowitz joining me. Um, we'll talk about you know what really you know is going on with the Fed in terms of you know, they've got to hike rates here to combat inflation, but they're really running out of room to hike rates. And this is this is going to be kind of an interesting conundrum uh, for the Fed. So what kind of tools and options do they have to try to navigate through this inflationary problem within the economy without seriously breaking something? That's going to be the big question. Now, the good news yesterday from the market standpoint was is that while we did sell off on Tuesday, of course, much more hawkish testimony uh, from Jerome Powell. And this is really kind of the subject of this weekend's newsletter as well um, in front of the House Senate Banking Committee talking about the need to potentially hike rates more. Of course, that drove the expectations for the terminal rate up to 5.6%. So now we're getting closer and closer towards 6% on the Fed funds rate. Um, but it also increased the odds of a 50 basis point rate hike um, for this coming March meeting, which is, I believe is on the 22nd, if I'm right, um, when the, Fed, the next FOMC meeting is and the Fed will hike rates again. Will it be a quarter basis points or will it be 50 basis points? That's gonna be the big debate over the next few days. Um, and again, Mike and I will talk about this morning why he should probably go 25 basis points at this at this juncture. Um, but good news is yesterday in front of the House Financial Services Committee, a lot of the same rhetoric, a lot of the same questions. You know, there, there really wasn't much coming out of, of that meeting yesterday. Markets did sell off a little bit, uh, kind of opened up, sold off a bit, flopped around uh, in negative territory yesterday but then rallied back and closed right on the 50-day moving average. So again, we haven't broken any real key supports here. Uh, the 100-day is now sitting right on top of the 200-day moving average. I know this is a lot of technical mumbo-jumbo if you're driving this morning on your way to work, but just kind of hang in here with me for a second. All this is telling us is that we, you know, we had a fairly big rally in the markets from, from the December lows, and the, really the, the lows go back to October, but we've had this fairly strong rally in the markets uh, since the October lows. Uh, since those December lows in, in particular. And the market has now pulled back. And again, we talked about at the beginning of February, you know, reduce some risk. Markets are going to have a correction here. We have a sell signal in place. That's exactly what has occurred. We came down to the 200-day moving average. We held that. That holding of support now has, has broken that previous trend of that 200-day moving average being resistance. Every time we got to the 200-day moving average last year, we failed and went lower. This is the first time we've been above the 200-day, have tested it, and remained above the 200-day. So now we have this confirmed successful retest of that breakout of the market above the 200-day moving average. So again, this little bit of a pullback over the last couple of days, 
is, is still doing just fine. We're holding the 50-day moving average, which is above the 200-day. So we have that golden cross, which typically suggests higher asset prices six to nine months after that occurs. So again, all the bullish setup here, and this is the point I'm trying to just get across this morning. So again, if you're driving, don't try to look at your phone and watch the YouTube. Pay attention to traffic, particularly in Houston. Um, but if you are watching our YouTube channel, you know, nothing has gone wrong with the market. So despite all the negative rhetoric that you hear running around, uh, look, there's lots of videos of the world's about to crash. We're going to have this massively deep depression. Um, you know, all these terrible things are going to happen. You know, fear sells, and it's a great way to, to sell a product, particularly if you're selling, you know, precious metals or those type of things. Fear really works well for selling you a product. But the reality is, is that the markets really aren't doing that at this point, and the markets aren't suggesting this worst possible outcome. Now, could things change? Absolutely. Things could change. Things can and will often happen in the economy or globally, politically, etc. I mean, you know, um, could have an invasion of Taiwan. We could have a lot of things going on. They could really change the dynamics of the markets. But right now, the markets remain bullishly biased. There's no reason to be overly defensive at this point. But we have to still be aware of the risks. And something that, you know, we've talked about before, look, the Fed is hiking something, you know, hiking rates. And they are going to hike rates until potentially, uh, even according to Jerome Powell, they get the unemployment rate to come up. They need the unemployment rate to come up so that consumer spending will slow down and that will bring down the rate of inflation. Also, a rise in unemployment will bring down wage growth. That is also another factor feeding into the inflation problem. So what the, what the, the Fed really wants is to see this unemployment rate rise a little bit. And it was interesting, Elizabeth Warren did ask Jerome Powell, very pointedly, she says, well, what has happened every time in history that unemployment has risen by 1%? Has the economy avoid a recession when unemployment rates have risen by 1%? And that answer is zero. We have never avoided a recession when, interest rate, when unemployment rates have risen by 1%. So the problem for the Fed is, of course, they want unemployment to rise, and it is probably going to cause a recession. That's not the end of the world. That's not necessarily a massive world-ending event. A recession is not great for stock prices. Why? Because earnings will have to come down. And as earnings come down in a recessionary environment, prices will have to decline to adjust. That does not mean the markets are going to decline by 50%. It does mean that we could wind up with lower asset prices at some point in the future. And that's why we just have to, and that's why we pay so much attention to the technical analysis of all this because it tends to give us a good leading indicator of when those things are occurring and then we can make adjustments to our portfolio before then. If it doesn't happen, it won't happen. And, and, and again, that's, you know, the, the problem with markets and, and trying to predict things is that we don't know for certain what's going to occur or how it's going to, to happen or when it's going to happen. So this is why, you know, again, I know technical mumbo jumbo and it's, and it's <laughs> you know, gets a lot of, of flack for that. But there's just squiggly lines you're just paying attention to. All we're trying to do is understand the psychology of the market. What's happening right now? What do the markets see right now? And then we're just trying to invest and manage that accordingly. When we begin to get more negative signals, it will tell us to reduce exposure further, and we will. And that's just the part of managing money over time. But the, the big takeaway here, of course, and what we'll get into uh, a bit more this morning with Michael, 
is really looking at what the Fed, the, the, the Fed's big challenge here. And the, what, you know, when you take a look at what he was talking about over the last couple of days, that challenge is becoming much more apparent because they are faced with this problem of inflation remaining sticky, right? We're, we are seeing housing prices come down. We are seeing rental prices come down. We are seeing a lot of prices come down. They're just not coming down fast enough. And there's still, as, as we uh, have talked about previously, and this is part of this weekend's newsletter, is that there is still a tremendous amount of liquidity in the markets from all that stimulus that we put in. Again, just because Brent spent his stimulus check doesn't mean it's out of the system. It's that money is still rolling through the system. He spent the money, who he spent the money with, they then spent their money with somebody else, so forth and so on. It takes time for that, that $5 trillion worth of stimulus to dilute itself within the economy. And that still process is going on. And that's what's also keeping recessionary impacts from occurring sooner than many people expected. Anyway, we'll get into a lot more this morning. Michael Leibowitz's new article is out on the website. If you're, if you're the Fed, you've got to yell loudly, basically, because you've got a small stick. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. And of course, while you're there, also subscribe to our daily market commentary and our Before the Bell channel. It's all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show YouTube channel has all our videos ready for your easy access. Now with the new and improved Before the Bell reports, Candid Coffee, and Lunch and Learn replays, plus each day's radio shows like Technically Speaking Tuesday, Financial Fitness Friday, and the latest analysis from Lance Roberts and Michael Leibowitz. Subscribe and bookmark our YouTube channel for The Real Investment Show, or just click on the show links at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show and welcome back to the show this morning i'm real saint roberts michael leibwitz joining me as well um on twitter this morning i uh, posted an interesting uh, poll and what the poll was is how do you communicate with family and friends? And I thought this was interesting because when you take a look at the poll, 49% of people communicate most with their friends and family via text messages. Um, behind that, 32% of people do actually pick up the phone and call somebody. And then Mobile messaging apps, social media, email, those kind of fall on the bottom. What I thought was interesting is, is the way that uh, apparently the way I communicate with my kids is no longer acceptable because that's where I throw <laughs> stuff and yell at them. So, you know, hey, pay attention, you know, throw stuff, hit, hit them upside the head. They pay attention is like, OK, then you yell at them, tell them what they need to know. I always thought that form of communication worked well, but apparently it fell off the list this year. So instant attention. though. Yeah. <laughs> So. Remember you used to throw erasers at me? Yeah, I did. Because you weren't paying attention. Well, <laughs> in the old studio configuration yeah. where my back was turned to you. <laughs> I would. If in our old studio, that Brent was facing away from me all the time, and so I'd be trying to get his attention because something was going on, so I'd be throwing pencils and erasers <laughs> at him. I hit him upside the head. But see, it works. But that's not on the list. <laughs> apparently, I have to apparently, I have to text you things. Hey, I need your attention. Projectiles. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. Um all that kind of fun stuff is on Twitter at Lance Roberts. 
I try to post something there, generally humorous, at least one, at least once a day. Anyway, Socially redeeming. Exactly. There's so much that I could say. It's, it's not hard to, to cross that bar, by I know, the it, way. It, it is. That's why you have to be very careful about what you post. <laughs> Because you're going to upset somebody, trust me. <laughs> anyway, uh, so over the last couple of days, as I said, the uh, Jerome Powell uh, Senate testimony, House Financial Services Committee testimony, talking about needing the hike rates. And, you know, this the problem is essentially that inflation is remaining much more sticky than, you know, he, he than he previously thought it would be. Again, you know, when we go back, inflation was thought to be transitory. It is coming down. It's just not coming down as fast as the Federal Reserve would like. And so they're continuing to hike rates here. Of course, this you know, comes back to this risk is at what point in an economy that has as much debt as we have now, do higher interest rates wind up breaking something? And this is and so far it hasn't happened. And so, of course, when it hasn't happened, the mainstream kind of analysis becomes like, oh, well, this time is different because, you know, the Fed's hiking rates and we haven't had a financial crisis yet, yet being the key word. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. So discounting the probability that hiking interest rates is not going to lead to a recession or something worse, potentially a, a financial event of some sort is, you know, is, is a bit ridiculous to discount that. Because it's happened every time, you know, you know, previously, and particularly when the Fed is hiking rates as fast. This is the fastest rate hiking cycle we've seen since the 1970s with an economy that has a lot more debt than we had in the 1970s. So just because we have a delay in the time frame in which these impacts have yet to occur doesn't mean they won't. And I think discounting this idea and going to, you know, kind of getting into the camp of, well, this time is different because it hasn't happened yet is a very dangerous situation. Anyway, let's uh, talk a little bit about what uh, Jerome Powell said yesterday and potentially what the options are. Michael, uh, welcome to the show this morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. Good Good morning. Um, You know, you said something interesting there, and I would have worded it slightly different. I would say, what is the interest rate or level of interest rates that breaks the economy, potentially breaks the markets? And the answer may not appear to be what we think it is. I think the way the media, the Fed, everyone's thinking about it is, well, we're four and a quarter, four and a half. Is it five? Is it five and a half? Is it six? And to me, I think the answer could be two and a half, could be three and a half, could be four. Could be five, could be six. The, the point being that we haven't felt everything the Fed has done. So we could have already, the Fed could have already hit the economy too hard <laughs> a while back when they raised from three and a quarter to three and three quarters or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Right. That may have been too much. We're not going to know. We're not going to know for a while because it takes time to work through the economy. And here's a, there was a great example in the JOLTS report, construct, the, the number of construction job openings fell by 240,000. That's three times larger than any other monthly decline we've ever seen in the last 20 years. That includes 2008, that includes 2020. That, I mean, 2008 was a housing disaster. Mm-hmm. 2020 was momentarily a problem. That number was three times larger than both of those events. So so let's think about what's going on in construction. Two years ago, a bunch of builders got dirt cheap loans or even a year ago, 
at, at zero percent, not zero percent, but at the lowest mortgage rates, lowest borrowing rates, lowest construction borrowing rates in history. They they got building permits. They started building. It takes a while to build. If it's a house, it can take nine months to a year. If it's a multifamily building or an office building, it can take multiple years. So they have those companies, even though interest rates have gone up, they locked in their borrowing and they need to build these buildings. They bought the land that, you know, everything needs to progress so they can sell it or they can rent it and basically get to the other side of the trade where they're making money, not spending money. That has been going on for the last two years, regardless of what interest rates are doing. So many of those loans are locked in. Well, we're finally at the point where we're starting to feel the effect. And so again, the number of construction jobs available fell by 240,000. It doesn't mean anyone got laid off, but what it means is that construction companies are not looking to hire nearly as quickly as they were just a month ago. And you can see this building permits have dropped off a cliff. It takes a long time though for building permits to work through. So normally that building permits to 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 where start to where you start seeing in construction jobs is a four to six month affair this has been going on for almost a year and i think one of the other issues that we're dealing with is no one wants to lay off employees because they fear they can't get them back mm -hmm. if they need them yeah. it's been so hard to to hire so this whole lag lag effect that we talk about that it was 3% the right interest rate, is 6% the right interest rate. And look, we don't have the answer either, but the problem is it's taking so long for these interest rates to be felt and they will be felt and they st they are starting to be felt. And that that the Fed's driving blind right now. So you kind of look at what the Fed's doing, they're still raising rates you know they're, they're they're basically set the market up for 50 basis points at the march 22nd meeting right the the market is now priced three quarters of a 75 percent chance that they go by 50. so now the problem facing powell is that if he goes 25 he's going to be extremely dovish the markets the stock market's going to zoom ahead right. financial conditions ease that's inflationary he's got a problem he backed himself into a 50 basis point corner whether he wanted to or not, <laughs> yeah. the problem. And here's, you know what, Lance, you used to say this a lot when we were at zero rates in 2021, for mm -hmm. instance, the Fed should start raising rates. And you said it for a number of reasons there, you know, that it wasn't just one reason. Right. But one of the reasons that you would say is because the Fed needs ammunition to lower rates when when the economy slows. Right. Well, now we're at the exact opposite end of that they have more than enough ammunition if the economy slows they can drop rates to zero that that would be a massive drop in interest mm, rates that's right but they're they're getting to the point where they are then and, and again they could be beyond the point that mm. that point may have been one percent ago every time they raise rates are increasing the odds that they broke something right or will break something Right. And again, you know, one of the, the problems is and again, to your what, you know, and, you know, the problem for the Fed is, again, is the, is this lag effect may actually be longer than what it should have been, because all of this money that we put into the system in 2020, 2021, it's still floating around. And, and I've got a chart in this weekend's newsletter of M2 as a percentage of GDP, which is twice as high as it was during all of the bailouts that we were doing during the financial crisis. 
So, you know, we've got, you know, this tremendous amount of money that's still, you know, we and we're kind of, you know, kind of, you know, have been questioning. It's like, man, you know, people are still spending money. Every, you know, the economy's doing, you know, fine. The employment numbers, retail sales, you know, people are still going despite higher rates. And that's because this money's still kind of circulating around. Now that'll eventually, you know, get diluted, but it that could very well delay. And this is, as I was saying earlier, this is one of the risks that the market is is really kind of walking themselves into. Is like, well, it hasn't happened yet, so you know that doesn't mean, you know, it, it probably means that this time is different. You know, we were talking about valuations back in, you know, 2021, and everybody was like, well, see, valuations are high. It's different this time than 2022. We have a 20 percent decline in the market. So you know, valuations matter. It's just a function of when they matter, and that could be the very same case here is that there's all this monetary supply still sitting in the system that, you know, when you start discounting that risk of a recession, be careful with that. It just may be delayed longer than what everybody was expecting because of all that liquidity in the system. So, you know, that's going to be one of the, the, the one of kind of the issues. And again, you know, another thing to think about, too, is, is when we talk about this, you know, you have $1.7 trillion worth of the infrastructure spending package, that is still kind of working its way into the system. Then you have the eight and a half percent increase in Social Security benefits. That's additional money to households. So there's a lot of reasons that even though the Fed has been hiking rates aggressively, it hasn't impacted the economy. And to Mike's point, that lag effect is, is you know could be a lot longer than we expect it to be. Okay, quick break. We'll come back. Um, shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about markets. And of course, as the Fed is hiking rates, stocks seem to be holding up pretty well here. Um, can they keep doing that? And this really comes down to the point of where do interest rates and where does you know a slower economic environment begin to impact, you know, really impact earnings or will they? And we'll talk about that after the break. Don't go away. I'm your host, Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Michael Leibowitz's latest article is out on the website now. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. the show this morning so talking a little bit about you know the federal reserve here of course as as we always do following testimony because the markets have become predominantly tuned you know no longer do we really buy stocks based on fundamentals or you know forecasts etc we're pretty much just buying and selling stocks based on what the fed's going to do um are the feds going to cut rates you know is a pause equal to a pivot and are they going to stop hiking rates and those type of things and despite the federal reserve being much more aggressive in terms of hiking rates. You know, it's been a very interesting, you know, situation really since October of last year. And I know it's, it's you know, it seems more recent, but really the market bottomed in October. 
Um, we've had a fairly strong rally since then. We've now broken above the 200-day moving average. We've successfully retested that. We have uh, the 50-day moving average has now crossed above the 200-day moving average. We've just a numerous bullish signals that suggest that the market bias is much more positive. And this has been based a lot upon this whole idea that the Fed is going to pause a pause is equal to a pivot. In other words, the expectations are is that the Fed will stop hiking rates somewhere and almost immediately begin cutting rates again. And again, historically, as the Fed cuts rates, that's been, you know, that's boosted asset prices, right? Zero rates that lowers the discount rate on future cash flows and earnings. So we pay up for stocks. Valuations have, have been high now consistently for, you know, the last decade. And, and this has been the story, right? And, and uh, again, as we keep talking about this, and this, of course, feeding into that story is that, oh, we're also going to avoid a recession. And that means that earnings have probably troughed here. We've, and, and again, when we take a look at earnings, earnings are still very elevated above their long-term growth trends. And during a slow economic environment or a recessionary environment, if we happen to have one, you know, earnings are going to decline because economic growth slows and earnings come from economic activity. So just can't have one without the other. So it's a, it's a very interesting conundrum that the markets are seeing something entirely different than what Jerome Powell is doing and what history says occurs when you have this type of aggressive Fed rate hiking activity. And so the question becomes, is, is the market delusional or is the market seeing something that we're missing? And that's always the question. Mike, your thoughts? I mean, that's the million-dollar question. And, and Lance, we spend more time thinking about what the market's thinking. We know what we think. Right. We, you know, we, we, we think that it's not going to be a soft landing. It's certainly not going to be a no landing. There'll be a recession of sorts. Uh, how bad? You know, we don't know. But, but we think that's the ultimate outcome. You can't raise rates this high into such a leveraged economy and expect nothing to happen. It just takes time, as we've said. Uh, but, you know, you have to follow the market, too, and the technicals, and people are buying. There's clearly a lot of that FOMO has come back to the market. If you look at what's driving the market, mm -hmm. it's the low-quality stocks. It's the most shorted stocks. It's, it's stocks not making money, stocks that were severely beaten up last year. Um, if you look at the performance of last year versus this year, it's almost polar opposite. So the market is trying to go back to 2021 and we have to deal with what the market wants to do and can do versus fundamentals. And Lance, you wrote a great article on this a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago. It's technicals versus fundamentals and we're completely torn. One says one thing, one says the other. Mm. Now, now the, the bullish factor out there has this no landing scenario or soft landing scenario that they base it on, that earnings can kind of stay propped up, that the economy can slow down a little, but not really, not fall into a recession. And, and maybe that's the case. And we certainly take that into advisement. I mean, if we thought the market was gonna collapse, we would reduce our exposure significantly right here. So we obviously don't think that is going to happen. Um, but 
you know, what I think is we're going through a zigzag period where we're going to go up and down and that up and down is basically how hawkish is the Fed perceived, not how hawkish are they, how hawkish are they perceived? And we're going to go between this no landing, soft landing, sometimes recession, and we're just going to zigzag in a range until we get more resolution on the economy and on jobs. And the jobs reports come once a month. And people are going to read a lot into those jobs reports, and a lot of them tend to be flawed, and they tend to get revised significantly in the future years. So this sounds crazy, but we may, we may have, they may revise the last six months down by a million jobs, mm -hmm. and we may be in a period where we've been losing jobs for a few months now and didn't even know it. Uh, we don't know though. Right. Um, so, and, and again, we know, unfortunately, in the markets, we don't pay attention to revisions either. So we'll look back at them and go, oh, yeah, we actually lost, you know, five million jobs, whatever it was. And, you know, it, it, it's after the fact. And so nobody the market really doesn't care. But that's the big challenge for for where we are is is, again, to your point is, is how bad is that recession going to ultimately be? And I, and I thought it was interesting because you, you, you said that, you know, since the beginning of the year, you know, people have been buying stocks and it's been in the most shorted stocks. And that's that, those are very true statements, by the way. But I thought this was interesting. The Bank of America uh, did a wealth management survey. And the question is, is how are you currently changing your asset allocation? Only 18 percent of the of those individuals surveyed by Bank of America were buying equities. Thirty nine percent were buying fixed income. And Mike, you and I have, have both experienced a, a, a big rash of inflows lately of people wanting to buy Treasury bonds, you know, because, you know, for the first time in a deck, you know, more than what, 20 years, you can actually buy, you know, get a five percent return on a Treasury. Fifteen percent are in cash because cash is now also providing yield with no no risk. Only 18% were buying um, in uh, alternatives and 7% in commodities, and then 3% were just not investing at all. So, you know, it's interesting, you know, when, when you, you know, bond prices have been under a lot of pressure, yet there's been a lot of money flow going into bonds. People are chasing bonds to get those yields, but yet, bond, you know, bond prices have been coming down, interest rates are going up because of the Fed. And the stock market's been going up, but it's actually been on less flows coming in to the markets as well. We've seen lighter trading volumes, et cetera, occurring. And I thought this was also interesting is that, you know, from a contrarian view, you know, one of the things that as an investor, what you want to kind of look at is what is everybody doing? Because generally, if everybody's doing something, they tend to be wrong. That's the, the benefit of contrarian investing, you know, in 2021 after the the uh, you know oil prices crashed to zero. Mike and I were talking about, hey, this is a good time to buy energy stocks because everybody hates them. Of course, those turned out to be big winners in 2022. Um, so contrarian investing works, and particularly when there's value in, in that. But I thought this was interesting because right now, 78% of investors are buying value stocks, but those have been underperforming growth stocks, particularly over the last you know month or so. So it's interesting, only 12% are buying growth, 10% or have no preference to what they're buying. They're just buying an index, basically. But it's interesting, there's a big overweight to value, which would be a cycle. And, and Mike, this would kind of be that psychological thing is like, hey, I'm buying value to help avoid a recession. But it's actually been shorted stocks, growth stocks, you know, the more aggressive stocks that have been rising. So if you're along a lot of value, it's really, it's really led to a lag in the portfolio. 
Right. And well, value is starting to have a dividend problem. Staples and utilities, for one, have been underperforming. And why is that? It, well, their dividends, which used to be nice at, you know, three to five percent, are now below what you could get risk free with the government. Right. And that holds true for all of equities. If, you know, if, Lance, if we went to our clients and said, hey, we can get you 10 percent risk free for the next five years, how many of you want to just sell all your stocks, all your bonds and just put it into that? And I bet 80, 90 percent would sure. say done, 10 percent yeah. done, probably yeah. even more than that, probably 100 percent. Right. Well, what if we did the same thing at 8 percent and maybe it's 60, 70 percent. And if we do it at 6 percent, it's probably a decent chunk of clients. Mm -hmm. Well, we're getting towards 6 percent. So every day that that rates inch higher, you are attracting money from the stock market to the bond market. And it you know, when you get to these round numbers like 6 percent, when you can buy a Exxon Apple bond at 6 percent or, you know, we saw a triple A rated bond at 6 percent yesterday. That's going to attract money from the stock market, regardless of how much FOMO people have. Mm. They're going to say, you know what, this is crazy. I can lock in 6% and not lose any money. That's not far off from what equities typically return. And that's another headwind facing the market. As Powell keeps going, he is inadvertently or, or purposely sucking money out of the stock market into the bond market. Which which that's it. Then that's a key statement. And the reason that's a key statement is because that is exactly the opposite of what the Fed was trying to do back in 2010 when Ben Bernanke was doing quantitative easing. Right. The whole purpose of dropping rates to zero was to drag money out of money markets and, and, and fixed income into equity markets to boost asset prices, to boost consumer confidence, to the economy back on track after the financial crisis. And so now the Fed's doing exactly the opposite, and the markets are going, you know, la, 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 I can't hear you. <laughs> and right. and exactly. Powell's been very clear about that. Yes. You know, and he needs, and, and he's even stated several times, valuations are too elevated. Um, we've got too much money, you know, chasing too few assets, those type of things. He's made these comments in various forms, and yet the market's not paying attention. So I think that's a very important statement that most people have overlooked. But, you know, it's interesting. We'll talk about this after the after the break. You know, yields have been coming up because of concerns about inflation, et cetera. Bond prices are going down, but yet people are piling into the bond market. The question is, is are we near that point to where the demand for bonds begins driving yields lower and bond prices higher? Quick break. We'll be right back on The Real Investment Show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So, you know, it's kind of an interesting conundrum. We're talking about, you know, flows of money where they're heading to. And look, there's a simple formula that drives economics, it drives markets, it drives just about everything uh, in life. It's always supply and demand. And so when you have a lot of demand, and, and again, this goes, why do we have inflation? 
well, too much demand for too little supply. We shut down the economy. We gave people a bunch of money. We said, guess what? You can't work. You got to stay home. And nobody could produce anything. So there was no supply. So whatever supply was available became very valuable. People said, hey, pff, I got, I've got, Mike over here wants to buy my widget. And I've got 15 other, and Mike's want to give me $5 for my widget. I got 15 other people over here willing to pay me more. Economics is, is basically an auction at a point. And when you have too much demand for too little supply, the highest bidder will win, ultimately. Now, not directly like an auction, but they work very much the same way. So, you know, the, the issue becomes, and this, this works in the financial markets as well, and particularly in a financial market where we're reducing the supply of assets through share buybacks and repurchases and those type of things. You know, when does the demand for an asset began to outweigh the available supply. And this is why, look, and, th and this is always kind of the interesting thing, um, you know, passive investing. You know, there's an interesting dynamic to passive investing that people don't think about. Let's assume that everybody just bought a S&P. There's only one ETF and everybody buys the S&P index ETF. That's it. That's your only option. If everybody passively indexed, the markets would be flatline every year. Because there would be no demand or supply, you know, don't, no demand versus supply. Everybody's just buying an index, right? So volatility in the markets would drop to near zero. <laughs> and markets would just kind of go flatline. And now it's an extreme example, but that's the point, right? Um, and so when we talk talking about the bond market, now the bond market, by the way, is four times the size of the stock market. So, you know, the bond market is incredibly important to the world economy. The credit markets are extremely important to, they are the economic lifeblood of the economy. Credit moves everything. The stock market doesn't. Credit market does. But everybody's starting to pile into bonds, right? So Mike's point, and he's absolutely right, at 5%, 6%, 7%, 8%, what is the number where you could lock in a return and just say, I'm done? You know, back in the late 70s, you could buy a 30-year treasury for over 14% and have a 14% guaranteed rate of return for 30 years. I had a client that had done that. His problem was is when the bond matured. Because <laughs> when the bond matured, rates were near zero. But the, the point was is that for, 14, for 30 years, basically, he yielded a 14% rate of return, right? Built a massive amount of wealth doing that. So the question is, at what point and what rates do you get to that basically everybody sells stocks to buy bonds? And, and again, right now, there's an interesting conundrum in the markets, and, and Mike is our resident bond expert, long history in the bond market. But, you know, right now, Mike, you know, we continue to see yields rise here a bit. Bond prices have been coming down, and yet there's a – and every time this occurs, though, it's dragging more and more money. And we see – if we look at inflows into the bond market, those have been very positive since the beginning of this year – you know, are we getting to the point to where, you know, bond prices have or or will bottom and that demand for the available supply of, of treasuries are going to start, you know, dragging bond prices higher and yields lower? Right. So first of all, let's distinguish between bonds and let's just let's just keep this to, to U.S. treasuries, risk free treasuries so we can stay on the same page here. Right. There's a big difference between a one month treasury and a 30 year treasury. It's obviously time. But the, the pricing of the one-month Treasury is almost solely based on what the Fed is doing. 
if the Fed's going to keep raising rates, the one-month Treasury yield will keep rising. So the, the one-month Treasury is solely a function of what's going on today with, you know, it's the next CPI number. It's what what is the Fed thinking? Is the market pricing in two hikes or one? That's what's moving a one-month Treasury bill. The 30-year bond is 30 years of semi-annual cash flows. So there's 60 cash flows every six months. 60 cash flows that will occur every six months, right? So if you're buying a 30-year bond, you know, sure you care about the next six months, but you also care about the six months starting in 2040 and 2045 and 2050. Right. So those bonds are much more, yields are much more a function of obviously supply and demand, but it's a function of the economic growth rate and inflation over that 30 years. So when Powell was very hawkish on Tuesday, one thing that I thought was very interesting and also encouraging because we do own long term bonds was that the yield on a 30 year bond fell by a few basis points. The yield on short term bonds was up about 15 basis points. So what the market, you know, one day doesn't make a, a message, but what the market is kind of telling you when it does something, when the curve further inverts, when when short term yields go up and long term yields go down is that they're taking Powell's word that he's going to cause a recession, mm-hmm. that he is going to hurt economic growth, that he is going to bring inflation down. But the way he's going to do it is with higher rates. So the one month bill has to keep going because they believe what Powell's saying. Mm-hmm. It was up 15 basis points because the market went to price in 50 basis points instead of 25 at March 22nd meeting. The 30 year bond fell because, wow, maybe Powell's Maybe Powell's really going to do this. Maybe he's going to break the economy. So, you know, you have to distinguish between bonds and what they're telling you. And again, a day, a few days doesn't doesn't make a uh, a change in pace. But if we keep seeing the yield curve invert with long term yields falling while short term yields rise, that's telling you the bond market really believes the Fed's going to break this economy. Right. And, well, and, and and to your point real quick, I, we're just running out of time. I just want to get you I, I want to get your view on one other part of this, yep. you know, is, is that, you know, the the longer duration of, of treasuries and we've shown plenty of charts on this in, in our newsletters and our blogs, et cetera, is, is that, you know, the 10 year treasury rate, the 20 year, the 30 year are all very tied to, to your point, economic growth and inflation. And if the Fed is intent on bringing down inflation back towards 2 percent, then yields are ultimately going to head down that direction. And I thought, and and here's the the interesting point is, is that we have one of the most inverted yield curves ever on record, right? And, you know, people are going, well, yes, I know it's inverted, but, you know, we're not going to have a recession this time. We have never been this inverted without a recession, period, end of story. Now, could this time be different? Possibly. But I think it's interesting, Mike, is that despite all of these rate hikes, the 10-year Treasury as an example, just looking at good because that's on CNBC every day. We look at that rate um, has not really gotten, you know, it's been stuck really around three point nine to four percent, maybe a little above four point one. You know, it's not been rising, even though the Fed is continuing to hike rates on the short end. And, and to your point, right. this is because the bond market is starting to price in a much slower economic environment in, in the months and years ahead. So if you notice the pivot uh narrative started coming in uh, what october Mm -hmm. and bonds started selling longer bonds started selling off in october because the fed's pivoting they're not taking the they're not taking inflation seriously they're they're gonna stop raising rates that whole thing 
the Fed has gotten more hawkish over the last few weeks. And that's when you see the yield curve inverted another 20 basis points. Like you said, the 10 year, 30 year have been stable, if not fallen slightly in yield, despite the fact that the market is now pricing in at least another 25. And the idea of Fed funds going to 6%, which sounded crazy a month ago, two months ago, is, you know, a lot of people are saying that now. Yeah. Well, the Fed fund futures now at 5.6. And you know, right. one of the, and I think one of the things you know, I get lots of emails saying, "Well, this is the 1970s, and interest rates are going to, you know, the 10-year and 20-year Treasury, they're going to go to, you know, eight percent, nine percent, ten percent." You know, I, I think people really miss the fact that you know, when interest rates on the 30-year mortgage went to six percent, there was a the the mortgage market died. I mean, there was there is literally mortgage bankers. I get calls from mortgage bankers. I get emails from people going, you know, last year I was making 80 grand a month. This year I'm making 8000 a month. Uh, you know, the, the mortgage market has died. Why would you refinance at a higher rate or why? And a lot of people simply can't afford to buy at a higher rate. So can you imagine the 30? What would happen to the economy? Because we are so indebted if interest rates were 10 percent. It would be over. Uh, there's three or four times more debt as a percentage of GDP than there was back then. The Fed could raise rates to 15%. It didn't matter. There was so little debt in the system. Mm -hmm. the, the Fed, and you know what, Lance? If they go to if the 10-year goes to 8%, good for us. We'll buy a bunch of 10-year 8% bonds and <laughs> sit on our hands for 10 years. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the rule of 72, we'll be doubling our money every, uh, every uh, nine years, right? So. Right risk-free. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, you know, this is the point that, but again, you know, I think, you know, there's, you know, this is a very intricate problem. And, you know, I think the one message that I want everybody to take away from this conversation is, is really two things. One is set aside a lot of the rhetoric that you hear in the media, both on the, you know, no recession side of the camp and the no landing side, as well as the end of the world side as well. Um, Reality will prevail at some point, and I think that you, what you have to do is just assess what the risks are for your portfolio based upon what are the most likely probable outcomes. And the probable outcomes are is that we're going to have a much slower economic environment, if not a recession. And I think, Mike, you will agree the odds of a recession of some sort, whether it's a slight recession or a deep recession, are pretty high. And I think we have to keep that in mind. And as a function of that, yields will come down as inflation declines, as economic growth declines. And as Mike just said, yields are tied on the long end to economic growth and inflation. That's where you want to be kind of looking at the impact to both stocks as well as bonds. All right, that wraps up the show for the day. If you've got any questions, get by the website, send us an email. Always happy to help you out. And read Mike's latest article about the Fed needing to uh, yell louder because they're carrying a small stick. And it's basically based upon this whole idea of the inability for the Fed to continue to hike rates at this point. That's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Send us your questions and comments. Always happy to help. Get our latest blog posts and subscribe to our Before the Bell channel. That's our new three minutes on markets and money on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day.